Thanks for being here, everyone. Homestead Church, we're glad you're here. If you are a first-time visitor, I want to make sure you feel welcome. I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, We are continuing part two of a series we're calling Give. We started it last week. We talked about giving. We talked about being generous people. So if by chance you are a first-time visitor, you're saying to yourself right now, I come to church the first time and they're talking about money. And you're thinking, oh, great. But it's okay. We don't talk about money every Sunday. But we looked into last week how the Bible has a lot to say about finances, has a lot to say about how finances, how our treasure is connected to our heart. We talked about how God instituted, this is last week's sermon, God instituted the idea of giving as a way for us to root out selfishness in us, to become generous people, to become people that put him first, to put others first, to not be so tight-fisted with our resources and how we live our life, but to be generous people. So I made a couple disclaimers, and I'll make the same disclaimers. I don't know why I feel like I need to make disclaimers when we talk about money, but I, I mentioned this last week because I think... If, you, if you've been around the church world long enough or even just watching the news, you'll hear stories from time to time about churches who maybe have misused finances. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why people get a little bit defensive or where maybe it's just me feeling that today of, you know, talking about money, people are thinking, oh, church is always talking about money. They're only interested in my money. And the second reason I think we get defensive and feel that way when we talk about money is because we like our money. We, we like to hang on to it. We like to spend it on stuff and get lots of toys. So, but I said this last week, I'm not preaching on stewardship and finances to get more of your money. I'm not doing that. We we just took up the offering this morning. Homestead Church is supported by the tithes and offerings that people give, but I'm not not speaking on giving to get more of your money. I know that God's going to provide for us as a church, right? Amen? Someone nod at me? All right, we're waking up this morning. Um, And God is not after your money this morning. God has, God owns all the riches, all the wealth, God is after your heart. God is after my heart. And that's why we talk about this. We want every area of our life, we talk about faith and prayer and reading the scripture. And how we manage our finances is one way to know if we've put God first in our life. So that's what we were talking about last week. That's what we're going to continue on today. We're going to look at kind of the principle that we see in the Bible on how to handle our finances and our resources. Last week, we looked at the story in the Old Testament of Cain and Abel. If you were here last week, you remember that. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, right away at the start of humanity, they are bringing offerings to the Lord. Cain brings an offering from the fields of the harvest he brings. And remember in the story, we read that Cain brought some of the harvest. So the idea there is that Cain collected all the harvest, and he saw how much he had, and he said, well, okay, I can give some to God. So he brought an offering of some of the fruits of the harvest to the Lord. Abel, I guess, would be a rancher. He was raising animals, and he brought a sacrifice of the firstborn of the flock. He brought the firstborn and offered that as a sacrifice to God. And we saw God look at Cain's offering and say, that is not accepted. And Abel's offering is, that is accepted. And we talked about why. And you remember what we talked about last week. And maybe this is new. Maybe you're, maybe you're here this week and you weren't here last week. So I'll ask it this way. Why is one acceptable and one isn't? Well, what takes more faith? If you are harvesting the fields and you collect the whole harvest and you say, okay, I guess I can give God a little bit. Or... You are raising animals, and the very firstborn of your flock you give to God. Well, that takes a lot more faith, doesn't it? That takes a lot more faith because there's no guarantee that animal number two is coming. You know, it's the first one, and you're saying, you know what? 
I'm trusting that God is going to provide after this. So I'm giving the first to God. I'm giving the first one. The selfish heart says, let me see how much I've got first. Let me make sure all my ends are met, and then I'll see if I got something left over to give to God. The generous heart says, the obedient heart says, I give God the first because I trust him. I trust that he's going to provide after this. I trust him that he is going to provide the rest. And so that's the basic idea of our message this morning. It's this, the principle of the first. The principle of the first. And the main point is this, and if you forget everything else this morning, I want you to remember this. The main point is this. If God is first in your life, in every area, if God is first in your life, then everything else is in order. If God's first in your life, then everything else is in order. Not that you won't have times where there's difficulties. Not that you won't go through trials and battles and stuff like that. The Bible says that we're going to do that. But if God is first, then everything else is in order. But if he is not first in your life, then everything else is out of order. This is the principle that runs throughout Scripture as you read. God telling his people in the Old Testament, put me first Put me first. If you do this, if you obey the things that I've commanded you to do, if you put me first, everything else is going to fall into place. Everything else is going to be in order. Everything will go well for you if you put me first. This is what God is teaching his people. If you read through the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel, God instituting all sorts of um, rules, I guess, or just uh, pol- not policies. It's a terrible word, policies. <laughs> I can't stand policies. Anyways, practices was the word I was looking for. God institutes certain practices for the people in the Old Testament to follow, for them to demonstrate that they have put God first. God is saying, do these things, and that'll be a sign to me that you have put me first in your life. Now, again, God is not on some heavenly ego trip, right? God doesn't need all the attention. He's God. But he knows that when we put him first, That is a sign that our heart is right, that things go well, that everything is in order. So this is what God was doing to his people in the Old Testament. So I'm going to look at a couple examples in the book of Exodus of this. Some of these you'd be very familiar with. For example, starting in Exodus chapter 20, and I'll just kind of jump through a few few examples here. God uh, starts the idea of a Sabbath. God says, okay... We're going to take a Sabbath, people, and the Sabbath is you work for six days every week, and on the seventh day, you rest. God said, it's one of the Ten Commandments, so it's got to be one of the important things, you know. Uh, You work for six days, and on the seventh day, you rest. And this this is an idea that will show that you put me first. Now, a selfish heart would think, why would I only work six days? If I work all seven days, that increases my productivity by like 15%, and I can make more, and I can earn more. And, uh, and so the selfish heart would think, okay, well, why would I take a whole day and not work? I'm going to work all seven. And God says, put me first. Put me first. Trust me. Show that you trust me by resting for one day a week. This is the idea of the Sabbath. And I think God would say, because first of all, you need rest. And second of all, I think we all need a weekly reminder that we are not God, right? That we are not providing for ourselves, that God is our provider. This is God instituting this idea of a Sabbath to show that we put him first, to show that we trust him knowing that six days with God first in our life is more productive than seven days of us working on our own strength. 
There's another idea of a Sabbath in terms of the fields. Like they would, they would have a Sabbath rest for their fields. If you were a farmer, you would harvest, you would sow and reap the fields for six years. And on the seventh year, you would allow all your fields to rest. You wouldn't sow, you wouldn't harvest anything. And it says, anything that grows, that just happens to grow, don't harvest it, just leave it. And that's going to be for the poor in your community, for the poor people in the nation to come and help themselves. Again, the selfish heart would think, this is our livelihood. Why would I not harvest every year? Because I'm going to sow and I'm going to reap a harvest, and that's going to be more productive for me. But God says, trust me. Do this as a way to show that you trust me in that six years of harvesting with God first in your life is going to be better and more productive than all seven years doing it on your own strength. There's a thing in the Old Testament called the year of Jubilee. Sounds fun, right? The year of Jubilee. Every debt was canceled every seven years. That would be awesome, right? Can you imagine in this world today, We'd be watching the clock, like the countdown would be on for whenever that seven years is done and everybody's debt would be wiped out, especially in this day and age when people are carrying so much debt. That would be fantastic. This is what it was in the Old Testament. Every seven years, all the debts were wiped out. So what was happening is the people in Israel were kind of watching the calendar, and as it got closer to that seventh year, they would become less and less generous to lend out their money because they think, why would I lend money to this guy in four months, it's going to be the year of Jubilee, and he's going to, his debt's going to be canceled. I ain't ever going to see this money again. They would start thinking that way. They would start getting much more stingy as it got close to that seventh year. And God is saying, trust me. People would do the math, and they'd try to figure it out. And God says, don't do the math. Trust me in this. Be generous to others. Do what is right. Put me first, and I will take care of you. This is what God is saying throughout all these things. And finally, an example that we used with Cain and Abel, God instructed the Israelites, whether you're farming the fields or the animals, to bring him an offering of the firsts, the first of the harvest, or the firstborn of the animals. This is the principle of the first. So I'm going to read a couple examples in Exodus, Exodus 23:19. 23:19. We have it Monsters Inc. that just jumped. That's right. Is that the number, right? 23:19. We have a 23:19. Sorry. <laughs> Exodus 23:19 <laughs> says this. The words will be on the screen on the screen. God says this. Bring your best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. This is one of the commands of God. Bring the best of the first fruits. Again, not harvesting everything and seeing how much you had left over, but the first and the best of the harvest. Bring it to the house of the Lord. Give it to the Lord God. Exodus 13, verse 1 and 2, talking about the firstborn. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So a couple of things jump out there as I was reading that this week. First of all, and I put it in bold, those words, belongs to me, the firstborn, the first offspring of every womb of the Israelites, God says, it's mine. God says, it's mine. It belongs to me. So bring it to me. In a way, God is saying, it's mine. Return it to me. Give it back. All right? This is what God is saying. The firstborn of every male, God is saying, the first fruits of the harvest, this belongs to me. This is mine. The language there is very direct and very strong. God is saying, it is mine. What also I didn't really think about was this command also applied to humans, not just 
bringing animals and sacrificing animals. And obviously God was not, you know, big into human sacrifice. So what would they, I was, I was doing a little research on this. How would they set apart the firstborn of every male in Israel to be, to, to be dedicated to God? Well, what they did was, and I forget the verse, but there was a, a passage of scripture where God is saying, rather than, you know, we're not, basically God is saying, we're not going to sacrifice all the firstborn males in Israel. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to take one of the tribes of Israel. There was 12 tribes. We're going to take the tribe of Levi, the Levites, and that entire tribe is going to be set apart and consecrated to God, to be dedicated to God. So the people in the tribe of Levi, the Levites, they would be the ones that were set apart to work in the temple in the tabernacle. So that's how God did that. Set apart the first for God. This was the idea. This was the principle of the first. That firstborn, God said, it is mine. It is to be laid down. It is to be set apart. It is to be sacrificed. In a way, God is saying, the firstborn is to be sacrificed to redeem all the rest. And we certainly see that thousands of years later after the book of Exodus was written, when God sent his firstborn son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice. He was sacrificed to redeem us, to redeem the rest. This is the principle of the first. It's very simple. The first belongs to God. The first belongs to God. Deuteronomy 12 verse 6 says this, and we see that this also applies to not only the first fruits of the harvest or the firstborn animal, um, not only to taking a Sabbath rest and on, on all those things I already mentioned, this also applies to finances and tithes and offerings. Deuteronomy 12, verse 6 says this, Bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and your special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Scripture teaches that this applies to finances as well. That word in there, tithing, to bring your tithes. Michael, when he was taking up the offering, he said, we're going to have the ushers come and they're going to collect the tithes and offerings. Some of you might be new to church and you might not know what that word tithe is. The definition of the word tithe is simply tenth. Tithe means tenth. So a tithe is 10% of our income as a first fruit offering to God. God is saying that first fruit, that first 10%, we give this back to God. We give 10% back to God. We don't wait at the end of the month and we see, okay, I've got all the bills paid. What do I have left over? Maybe I can throw something. If you want to be a tither, God is saying 10%, the first 10%, you give this back to God. We bring it back to God because what we read in the Old Testament, the scripture says, it belongs to him anyways. It belongs to him. So we bring it back to him. We return it to him. So I'm going to illustrate that idea um, here for a second. Let's, let's imagine that I need, I need someone. Who's got a set of car keys on him? I need, a, I need a set of car keys. I need to borrow a car, let's imagine. So, Jeff, do you got a set of car keys? Just throw them on up here. So. All right, so I needed to borrow a car. Jeff Merricks has kindly loaned me his car. I have no idea what car it is. This doesn't look like a car key. Oh, it's just the, it's one of those push-button ones. Okay. There you go. Fancy. <laughs> Prosperity gospel right there. It's a, it's a Nissan. <laughs> All right. So I, I need to borrow a car. Jeff has lent me his car. So let's say I've used the car, and now I'm done with it. Um, what are my two choices now? I can return the car, or I can... <laughs> That's right. I could fill it with gas and return. I could return the car or I could steal the car. Those are really my two choices, right? 
Those are my two choices. I can return to him what's his, or I can steal it. Um, what would happen if I went to him and said, Jeff, you know what? Christy and I were praying. We feel led that God has told us to give you this car. He'd be like, whatever, that's, it's my car. <laughs> you know what? It's mine. You didn't need to hear from God. It's not a big generous step of you to give me back what was mine. Okay, so that's the illustration. I don't want to hit. Oh, that's good throwing right there. All right? We wouldn't say, I, I really feel led to return this to you, to give you this car. I'm so generous, I'm going to give you this car. No, we're giving back what belongs to him. Tithing is returning to God what is his. This is the lesson we see in Scripture. God says, it belongs to me. We have two choices. We can keep it for ourselves, or we can return it to God. It belongs to him. Tithing is first because we show God that he's first. In all these other practices, God is saying, put me first, and you're going to see how everything comes into order. Everything comes into line. Tithing shows that we believe that God will provide, and that with God first in our life, the remaining 90% is going to be way better than 100% trying to live on our own and do everything in our own strength. So that is the idea of tithing. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I didn't come to church today. But I'm just telling you, this is what the scripture says. We're going to look into more about this next week a little bit. But some of you are probably thinking, um, and I've heard this a number of times, people would say, if you ask people, well, why, why wouldn't you be open to tithing? They would say this first and foremost. I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I was reading some stats this week where, on average, the average American household spends 130% of their income every month. So if they bring in, you know, $100, they're spending 130. So obviously, you know, we know this is going on in our nation, but the average American family is overspending by 30% every month. That's the average. So a lot of people would say, I can't afford to tithe. The math does not add up. There's no way I could just take 10%, give it back to God, and then try to make ends meet with the rest, with the 90%. And I've said this before, and I think this is the same principle with Sabbath, with uh, finding that day of rest, with all those other examples I mentioned. We've got to stop doing the math. There are so many times where we look at things and think, this is not adding up. This is not going to work. This can't work. We've got to stop doing the math. We're terrible at math. God math is way better. Where God says six days is more productive than seven days, take a day of Sabbath. God math is 90% can be more blessed and obedience to God than 100% can on your own. This is what God is teaching us, that step of faith to say, God, I trust you in that. I trust you that you're my provider. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to bring that first fruits offering to God, and I'm going to trust that you will provide the rest. I'm going to trust that you bless the remaining 90 percent. It's living with God first. It's a step of faith and obedience. It's a step of faith and obedience. It certainly is. But we know that God always responds to steps of faith and trust and obedience. We're going to look at a couple things next week because some people would say, well, then I, I give to God because then I expect to get more back. There's a lot of people preaching that. If you give to God, you're going to get more back. Like he's a really good high-yield mutual fund kind of thing. Like I give God 100, I'm expecting tenfold back, you know, pressed down, shaken together, running over, all those scriptures that people would say. I believe God blesses when we are obedient. I don't believe that it means that we're going to all of a sudden be driving a Nissan like, like Brother Merrick's over there. <laughs> 
There's some other people that would say, and, you know, there's a lot of very smart people that say, okay, this was something in the Old Testament. It doesn't necessarily apply to the New Testament. There's a lot of debate of whether that means you have to give it to your local church or can I support other missionaries and all that. We're going to dive into a lot of those things next week because I think if we get too far into those details, we, again, miss the heart of it. And it's about our heart. It's about putting God first in our life. But this tithe, this idea of tithe is a step of faith. But we know that God blesses steps of faith. We trust him to bless our obedience, to bless us in a step of faith. There's some verses in Malachi chapter 3 that are very common when people preach on tithing. This is God talking to the Israelites. Malachi 3, I'm going to read verse 6 through 10. says this, I, the Lord, do not change. Do we got these words to go up on the screen? Malachi 3, verse 6. There we go. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites, are not destroyed. <laughs> I love that. What's happening here is the Israelites are being disobedient. And God is saying, the only reason you're not destroyed is because I told you that you would thrive as a people and I don't change. So I kind of got myself stuck here because otherwise I would want to destroy you. So that's what the Lord is saying. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your ancestors of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Those are amazing verses from Malachi. What if you put God first in your finances? What if you put God first? What if you tried this? I love the wording in there that God is saying, Test me in this. Try it. Just try it. Test me in this and see if I won't bless you. See if I won't provide for you in amazing ways. When God is first, everything is in order. When God is first, everything is in order. And he's saying, just try it. Just test me. We could never, you know, get to a spot where God's provision and faithfulness doesn't, isn't able to help us. We've got to get to that point. And this is a lesson I continue to learn. I have ups and downs, but this is a lesson I continue to learn, that God knows how to provide for his kids. Amen? God knows how to provide for his kids. God knows how to provide in amazing ways. We have been in seasons, Christy and I, where we have been jobless, and we were still tithing, and we would think, this does not add up. There's no way. There's no way this is going to work. But we had this assurance that God was going to provide for his kids. And we've seen God provide in amazing ways. Just checks would come in the mail. I mean, you hear stories like this. We could have people come share stories of, I began to tithe, and all of a sudden my work called and said, oh, we, I don't know what happened. We had this bonus for you that we, didn't, we got lost in the shuffle somewhere. I mean, and so here you go, and it was for the last eight months. So here you go, eight months bonus. You know, I hear story after story of this. And again, it's not give to get, but it is give with full assurance that God is going to provide. Even when you look at it and you say, I've done all the math. This doesn't add up. God says, I will 
will provide. Where is your source? Are you looking at your own financial management skills, or are you putting me as God first in your life, trusting that I will provide because I know how to provide for my kids? we got to get that. His children, we all are. He knows how to provide. So at Homestead Church, we have people who do this. We have people that faithfully tithe. They give 10% of everything they earn, and they support the church that way. Christy and I tithe. And as ministers in the denomination of the Assemblies of God, our tithe goes to the district office. That's where we send our tithe. But we do this every month. It's something we've always done, and we thank our parents for that. We thank our parents for teaching us this very basic principle. And so we're teaching that to our kids. Our kids will make 10 bucks doing some chores, and we'll say, okay, well, what's a tithe on that? What's 10%? And they'll do the math. See, we're teaching the math skills as well, and obedience to God. Um, But we've always seen God provide. It's a habit. We've just gotten into the habit of tithing. It's just something we do. And I'm not trying to say it to toot our own horns. It's just something that we have grown up doing. We don't think about it much. Every once in a while, I'll think about it when I'm paying the bills. And it's for me, it's an online. I do all the bills online. I log on to Wells Fargo and click, click, click and all those things. And our tithe is one of them. And it happens every month. Every once in a while, I'll think about that money. And I'll think, you know, if we, after a few months, if we just hang on to that, we could be, you know, nice beach vacation in Mexico after several months, and that would be all right. You know, every, every once in a while, I'll have a little thought like that. But I know that it's a habit. It's something that we do to show God that he is first in our life. And as I've mentioned, we've always seen him provide for us. We don't live lavishly. I drive a Kia. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty sweet Kia. Um, we don't live lavishly, but we, here's, here's how we live. We live with the peaceful assurance that God is faithful to provide. We live every day with the peaceful assurance that God is faithful to provide, and we put him first, and we trust him to take care of us. It's real-life faith. It's living every day knowing, God, I trust you. You're going to provide. Let me tell you, that is way better than a Mexico beach vacation, just living every day trusting God. As we've put you first, you're going to provide for us. We're going to provide for us. You're going to provide for us. So where is your heart today? Who is first in your life? What if you just took that bold step and just said, God, I'm going to put you first in every area, including my finances, and I'm going to trust that you are going to bless and provide for my family. What if you trusted God to be obedient in your finances, to tithe or to give that first 10%? Now, here's the deal. I'm your pastor. I'll continue to be your pastor whether or not you tithe, right? I don't have a smartphone app that sends me an alert. You know, the Hendersons did not tithe, and, you know, I can zap the curse of God on them right there or anything like that. You know, I don't have, I don't, you know, I'm not going to scour through the, the giving records to see if I should visit you in the hospital or not. You know, there's nothing like that going on. I'm your pastor. I'm going to continue to be your pastor whether or not you decide to do this. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. But here's the deal. I want our church to grow. I want our church to grow in every way. I want our church to be full of people who grow and put God first. You know what, if everybody tithed, if every single family in this church gave 10%, um, you know what, we would have plenty. We would, 
we would say, you know what, let's just go buy some land and build a church building. And we'd send all the teenagers on a missions trip every year because we know that missions trip, amen, from the front row here. You know, missions trips can, can be so formative to young lives. We would do that. We would, fund, we would find out from the community, what's something that we can fund? We've got more than enough. How can we be a blessing? School district, how, how many kids can we supply school supplies for this year as Homestead Church? We would talk to the city. What can we do? What can we fund? We would, do, we would just have all the, we would have funds to be a blessing in the community. But better than that, better than that, if everybody tithed, more than what we could do with God's money and God's resources as he blessed us, more than that, if everybody tithed, we would be a group of people that collectively has put God first in every area of our life. And there is no telling what God could do through a group of people like that. Amen? There's no telling what God could do through a group of people that just says, in every area, even the difficult ones like finances, the times where I want to hold on to it, in every area we have put you first God could use a group of people like that to change our city, to change Minnesota, to see the bless. I, I think God is looking for people he can trust with resources, and he's going to bless the people with resources who are the ones who are just f- funneling it out to be a blessing to other people. God is there with all the resources, and he sees the needs in our community, and he says, as I've mentioned before, the church is the plan. And so how can I get the resources of heaven into the people who need it? I'm looking for people who I can trust to bless with resources who are then going to funnel it to people in need in our community. If he, if he starts blessing us with resources and we say, great, now we're going to hang on to it ourselves, God's going to look at that and be like, no, I need it. I need it to go other places. I'm trying to find people who I can trust to funnel my resources where it needs to be. I want us to be a group of people that God can trust. I want us to be a group of people that puts him first. We tithe, as we see in Scripture, to show that he is first. We tithe and give God the first 10% to be obedient, to show that we trust him. As we talked about last week, to rid our hearts of this selfishness. We tithe because we read in Scripture that 10% doesn't belong to us anyways. We are returning it to God. But there is one more reason. There's one more principle on why we tithe. And as I was reading in Exodus 13 where God was instituting this idea of bringing the firstborn of the flock to him, says this in Exodus 13, verse 14. The words are going to be on the screen. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? So in the days to come, when your son comes and says, why are we sacrificing all the animals? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So what God is saying here is there's going to come a day where you're going to get older if you're you know, an Israelite rancher at that day. And your son's going to get old enough to understand what's going on. And your son's going to come to you, and I imagine it going something like this. The son comes and says, um, Dad, we are in the ranching business. And I've noticed something, and maybe you don't notice, Dad, that you do this. I've noticed something. You kind of have a bad habit. Every time one of the animals gives birth a firstborn, um, you kill it, <laughs> you know, right? The son is going to say, okay, that's really cutting into the bottom line here. Let's say we don't kill the animals and then we would have more animals and that's what we are do- all about. We are in the ranching business. And what God is saying, when your son asks you that, you can say, son, ranching is not what we do. What we do is we put God first. 
ranching is secondary. But let me tell you, son, about our family. We weren't always in the ranching business. We didn't own, we weren't always living here. We didn't own any land. As a matter of fact, we were slaves. We were slaves. We didn't own anything. We were slaves in Egypt. But God, with a mighty hand, delivered us out of slavery into freedom, into new life. He brought us here, and now look what we have. It's because of God's mighty hand that he has brought us into freedom. So therefore, we gladly give to God. We gladly give to God the firstborn of our flock. Um, as I mentioned, when I, when I pay our tithe, it's online. You know, we don't, there's not a lot of check writing anymore. For those of you who don't know checks, we used to have things called checks where you'd write down and it would go to the bank and it would be, you know, all those things. And, um, now it's just click online. And, uh, but there was a time where, I don't remember which, which kid it was, but they were coming in and I was kind of just showing them, okay, well, they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm paying the bills. And it was just a good teachable moment to say, okay, you know that internet that you use all the time? That's not free. I have to pay that company every month for that. You know, this bill here, this what pays for you. You know, when I say, close the door, we're not cool in the whole neighborhood. You know, that's because I pay an electric bill every month as dads, you know, say all the time. And then they were like, well, what's this one? And I said, well, this is our tithe. And so for a kid of that age, young kid, they look at that and they're like, wow, that's, you, you give that every month? And I said, yeah. And so I took that as a moment similar to what God said in Exodus to say, you know what? We do this because we haven't always been pastors. You know what? We believe that we were sinners and lost. We were in slavery to sin, but God with a mighty hand delivered us into new life and salvation through Jesus Christ. God has given us everything that we have with a mighty hand. So therefore, we gladly give him 10%. We gladly give him over and above. We gladly just say, God, I want to be a blessing to others. I want to be obedient to, do, to you. We gladly do this. We have been given so much. Not just living in America, being a prosperous group of people. We have been given new life, the presence of God in our life who guides us, protects us, fulfills his calling on our life, this God who just leads us through and brings healing and restoration, the God that can do miracles, the God that provides in so many ways. We have been given so much. So we also give, we give out of obedience. We give to show that God is first, but we also give generously because he has given so much for us. He's given so much for us. Let's close in prayer today. God, we recognize it. We recognize it. You have blessed us. You've blessed us. You've given so much for us. We can see it in our families. We can see your hand. In our families, we can see you leading and guiding. We can see it in the fact that we were once lost and now we are found in Jesus Christ. New life, eternal, abundant life. You've given so much for us. So we gladly put you first in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling hearing these words today. That idea of putting you first in their finances just seems so far out there. It could never be done. I pray that you would stir their hearts today. May it be just more, may it be way more than words that I'm saying today. May you speak to hearts today. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts today. Encourage people. Help us to be obedient, to raise our level of faith and trust in you and to put you first in everything. And again, I pray as we're talking about stewardship and finances, I pray for those in this room today who are in need, who are in need. 
They are doing the math, and it is not adding up. They are working hard, and they don't, they don't seem like they have enough to pay the bills. Lord, I just pray that you would intervene, that you would provide. But, Lord, our part is to put you first. We do our part, and you do the amazing, miracle-working God stuff. So, Lord, help us to put you first and trust you to do the rest. We thank you for what you have given us. We thank you for everything you've provided for us. May we constantly be a people filled with gratefulness and thanks to you for all you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church. God bless you. Um, Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday for part three.